God, there are some of us here who are very hungry this morning for a sense of hope. We're waiting. Life often makes us wonder, especially when it's dark. This is a season of light and of joy and of peace and love, and we thank you for that. And what we ask for now is that you'd give us a sense of your presence so that we could feel that you are near, so that we could see the light that has come in the darkness, and we need you to help us grow, and that's what we ask for now. Open our minds and our hearts so that we would learn together and so that our learning would help our hearts as well as our minds, and we ask for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our subject in December has been the problem of evil and alongside that, the promise of Christmas. Uh, This morning, I want to focus especially on the promise. Uh, To begin, I'm going to ask you to use your imagination with me. I want you to picture a poor village farmer at work in his fields on a Monday afternoon. His neighbor comes rushing up. Bad news, friend, he says. Your gate was left open, and your only horse has run away. God must not favor you. Absorbing this news, which he can't change, the farmer thinks about this interpretation, divine disfavor, and he shrugs his shoulders, and he says, what do I know about such things? And then he goes back to work. Tuesday afternoon, same neighbor comes rushing up as the same farmer is working in his fields, but this time he's got a smile on his face. Good news, friend. That horse that ran away brought three wild horses back with him from the far country. Good thing he got out. God must favor you. Now the farmer likes the Tuesday explanation better than Wednesdays, but he thinks of it, divine favor, And he says the same thing. What do I know about such things? Wednesday morning, neighbor comes up, terrified look on his face, terrible news. The the wild horse kicked your son and broke his leg. God obviously does not favor you. Now, Wednesday is the worst day of the week in general for most people, right? But he says it again. What do I know about such things? And then Wednesday afternoon, the enlisting officer comes by. There's a war that's broken out with a neighboring village. All able-bodied men and sons are to come. And, well, your son can't go because his leg is broken. God obviously favors you. What do we know about such things? And that's the question, really. What do we know about such things? Uh, Is it true that every bad thing always turns out to be a good thing? It sounds like it for this farmer. But what about the neighbor whose son didn't have a broken leg and had to go off? What do we know about the reality of darkness and evil and suffering in the world on the one hand and the goodness and grace and love of God on the other hand? That's our question. It's a big question, isn't it? Yeah? It's a big question to answer like in one 30-minute message, but here we go. (laughs) We've decided that we're going to come to the Christmas story. And we're going to let that help us address the question of the darkness in the world. And the reason we find the Christmas story to be the right kind of story for that purpose is because the story is a story of light. The Gospel of John, which has been our focus for these last two weeks, really, has told us the story in terms of a light which has come into the darkness. And not just any light, but the light that was with God before all things, the light that was God before anything else existed in the world. 
John tells his readers that that light became flesh and lived among us. That is that Jesus himself is the light in the darkness as God who has come to be with us right in the world where we find ourselves, the world where there are good things which happen as well as bad things. And then John gives this line, which has been for us like a promise. It's in verse 5 of the first chapter, where John writes this of Jesus. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Now, if we take this promise seriously, then we know some things about the problem of evil and suffering. If Jesus is God with us as the light, then every statement we make about God's favor or God's disfavor has to pass the test of measuring up to what we learn about Jesus, about the light who has come into the darkness, about the light that has come against the darkness, about the light that stands over against the darkness and is not behind it. If this is true, then we can say a few things about the darkness. We can say, first of all, that the darkness is not just an illusion. It's not just in your head. It's a bad thing when you're a poor farmer and your only horse runs away. That's dark. We can say that. But then we can also go on to say that it's not true that everything that happens is just chance. Because the story that John tells is about God's purpose a plan that God had, especially when we look outside of John to the other Gospels, we see that the birth of this Messiah was not just a random accident. It was a plan of God that had been unfolding for a long, long time. When bad things happen, is that just chance? No. Uh, the Christmas story allows us to say, no, God has a plan, and it's a good plan. But then, of course, that raises the question. Are the bad things that happen happening because of God's disfavor? Is the explanation on Monday and Wednesday morning the right explanation? Is it that God is upset and that's why these bad things are happening all around us? Don't just think of the farmer. Now think of your own experience in life. Of course we'll be tempted with that now and then to think it's our fault. Now listen, can we admit that sometimes we do things that are wrong and it makes life go bad for us? We see that, don't we? But then there are other times where, well, it's like a wild horse, and then the question is, is it punishment? Well, again, the Christmas story allows us to say without any question, no. God is not the God who comes to punish. It's very plain in the Christmas story. Jesus is God with us for a purpose, and his purpose is to bring salvation, not punishment. So we can push that one aside as well. Of course, that leaves this last one, which we talked about last week in detail. Is it that everything that happens, maybe it's not divine punishment, but isn't it God's plan? Maybe that's it. Maybe the bad things and the good things are all part of this mysterious will which we haven't yet seen, the, the light and the darkness. Maybe that's the answer. No, again, the Christmas story gives us the freedom to reject that explanation for evil. We are not to accept it for this simple reason. Jesus is God who is the light with us in the darkness, which is not God. Do you see that? It can't be that he's both the light and the dark, because in God there is no darkness at all. And that means it's just not true that every little thing that's happening is his plan. And of course, that raises other questions. Maybe not for the man whose son doesn't have to go off to war, but what about the neighbor whose son does go and ends up dying? What about then? 
And all of these questions are questions which are not just hypotheticals. Sometimes for some of us they may be. But for many of us, the question of evil and suffering is a real question. It's a question that's not just academic, but it's about what's happening in our real lives. And so this morning, I want to address that question with you as clearly as I can. And I'm going to do that in three different uh, arenas, so to speak. Uh, in three different moments in life, because we all know that life is very varied and mixed, isn't it? It's not always the same. And so we're going to consider together the promise of Christmas, and I'm going to give you three of them. And we're going to learn these each as they arise in different circumstances in life. And the first that we're going to consider together is those times when the dark is light disguised. Because the truth about life is that sometimes, and maybe even often, the experiences we have seem to be only dark, but then later on we realize that they're actually light in disguise. Most certainly not all of the things that happen. Of course, many of you will be here and think, well, how could this be? But on the other hand, there are times when we face a challenge that seems to be only darkness, and then we get a little further down the road, and looking back on it, we see that what we thought was a failure was actually a great success. Good things, that door closed. Do some of you know what I mean? Yeah, those moments where you get this insight, and hindsight tells you what you had wrongly interpreted as just a disaster back there was actually good in disguise. You know that at the center of the Christmas story, this is a part of what happens. Think about Mary. Uh, try your best now to picture what happens for her when she first learns the news that she's going to have a baby. Okay, We know where that goes, but when she first hears that, it will look to her as if it's only darkness. Because in the first century, when a young girl becomes pregnant, it's a danger physically. It's very dangerous to be pregnant then. Add to that that she's not wed. She doesn't have a husband. And so she lives in an environment where she is going to be shamed in a way that's hard for us to even imagine. All of her friends, all of her family, everyone in the village is going to look down on her. That's not good news for her. And not only that, but we also, we learn from the story that her fiancé thinks that she's lying and is preparing to divorce her. And so all of that to Mary will look like nothing but darkness. And that's Monday, right? That's what it looks like to her on Monday. And if, and if the angel comes on Tuesday, then she'll see that it's light. But between Monday and Tuesday, she faces the darkness, which is actually light disguised. And for every person who faces that kind of challenge, the Christmas story has a promise. And the promise is that God sustains us. God does sustain us when we face darkness, which is light disguised. Uh, some of you have experienced that personally, haven't you? I know I have. I have five or six times in my life where I see those terrible things that happened just felt like nothing but darkness, but it turned out later on to be light. And the promise of the Christmas story is that when you face that, which you will, God sustains you. Now, Listen, again, not every darkness is a light disguised. We'll get to that in the second promise, okay? But for now, for those moments when the darkness is light disguised, that is a good promise, and it's true. If you are in the midst of a dark right now, would it be possible for you to imagine that it could be a light disguised? 
My friend Vito, a lot of you have met my friend Vito. He's preached here a, a number of times. When he finished seminary, he was convinced that God wanted him to be a pastor uh, at a church. He had two or three small jobs, and that convinced him that that was what God wanted for him. God's plan was to have this gift of leading a church. And, and uh, about three years after seminary, he got a phone call from what was, in his mind, the ideal church to work in. They reached out to him and said, we want you to apply for this position. We think it's just right for you. Has anyone here ever had that experience where the, the ideal job reaches out to you? And it's just great. No one's had that? Okay. Well, Vito goes and he meets with uh, some of the people at the church and he really likes them. And he spends time with the committee. He really likes them. They really like him. The application is turned in. Lots of people applied. The, the head of the committee reaches out to him. It's down to just you and one other candidate. Now Vito is completely convinced. This is awesome. My, my dreams are coming true. Just what I, I have always wanted, God's going to give it to me. The, the committee plans a dinner at one of the, the, uh, Vito's favorite restaurants in the West Village. He shows up. The committee's sitting around one of those circular booths. They stand up and greet him with smiles. They let him sit right in the middle, so he's sandwiched there between them. They order the food. Vito ends up with overcooked farm-raised salmon. That was a disappointment, but it didn't matter, right? Because here it is. And the head of the committee speaks up, and he says, Vito, it's very hard to know how to say this, but we've gone with the other candidate." And now it just breaks on him. This is darkness. And he has to fight back tears because he was sure this is the right thing for him. And sometimes you will find yourself in a moment like that. And listen now, and the Christmas story teaches us it's okay to think like this. That darkness that you're facing in the moment might actually be God's plan. Now, do not mishear me. It does not mean that every darkness you face is God's plan. That's not how it works. But sometimes it is. And sometimes it takes some time to get down the road further. Again, think of Mary. She didn't know that this pregnancy was actually not only not darkness, it was the greatest light that would ever come into human history. She couldn't see that yet, but eventually she could see that, right? And, and when she saw it, it was when the angel came. And there was time between when she first heard this news and when that happened. We read it in 30 seconds. But there were some very sleepless nights, I'm sure, for her. But then when the angel does come and tells her of this plan, did you hear when Clay read earlier what, what Mary responds with? She says, here I am. Uh, I'm your servant. And then she says these words, let it be with me according to your word. If you're able to say that in the darkness, and it is darkness which is light, and that's an open question, but if you're able to say that, the promise from the Christmas story is that God will sustain you. He will carry you forward. He will. He sustained Mary. Thank goodness. Uh, he sustained Vito, thankfully. It wasn't but a, a few weeks later when Vito got a call from another church, which he hadn't thought of. And it was a great church. And he got there, and he met the people there, and it was a better fit. It was a, a, a much more fitting role for him. They asked him to apply. He put in his application. Again, it came down to the last two candidates, but this time they were able to say, hey, there's no need for a meeting. They called him on the phone. Vito, you don't need to come in because... We've decided to go with the other candidate. Thanks for applying. You laughing at my friend's misery? <laughs> That's really what happened. And it wasn't for him till the third time that it became plain. That this darkness is light disguised. And that is how it is in the world. Many times God's plan will feel to us like darkness. And if we live through it, we'll see that. 
And God's promise from the Christmas story is that he is Emmanuel, that is, he's with us to sustain us when we have to face that. And that is the first promise. That's a good promise, isn't it? Yes. It's hard to tell if it's a good promise. I can barely see you, and I can't hear you. Yes? Now, this raises a question which I want us to address, and I don't think it is right to run away from it. Because there are times when the unwanted pregnancy does not end well with the birth of the Messiah. And there are times where interview one doesn't go well, and neither does interview two, and then it's also interview three, and now you don't have enough, and you're anxious, and you're overwhelmed, and then things can turn out bad. And let's be honest, sometimes the darkness is not light disguised. It's the darkness which is just dark. And so what about that? What's the promise of Christmas when the dark is only dark? And that is a legitimate question to ask. And it's one that's easy to avoid when our lives are as comfortable and privileged and easy as they often are, even though we make more of our problems than, the, than we should perhaps. But then there will be times where the darkness comes in and it's so dark, there's no silver lining. Right? There's no further down the road where we look back and say, well, yeah, this is actually a really good thing. Some of you are in that place. And, and, and many of us will have to face things like that in life. And so what about then? Now, I am going to challenge you. And I am going to challenge you, listen please, as a pastor who loves you. And that might seem strange for you to hear me say. And I don't mean love in the affectionate or the romantic way. I mean in the, in the way that uh, God sometimes invites a man or a woman into a role as a pastor where they have love for people they don't even know. And what they want is to share the truth of God with people that they maybe never will talk to directly, but who will hear their words. And I love you like that. I love you. And I'm sorry that you face darkness, which is just dark. But the challenge I want to give you first is to face even that darkness like Mary faced the darkness which turned out to be light, which is in faith. Which is to say in moments like that, here I am, your servant. And if you want a model for how to face darkness, which is only darkness like this, you can look in the book of Psalms, which is in the center of the Bible. It's filled with poetry. Sometimes it's cheerful and bright, but other times it's just dark. And in moments like that, what the psalmist does is he faces those moments in faith, which is to say, here I am, and then shares the real feelings that come in darkness, which is why. Why are you doing this without any need to pretend? And if you'll do that, then listen to me. The Christmas story frees us, every one of us, to reject the belief that everything which happens is God's plan or is part of God's mysterious blueprint because Jesus is the light who comes into the darkness. And if Jesus is God with us, that means God with us is not the darkness. And just as the darkness and the light will always be opposed to one another, we are free to reject the belief that the darkness is somehow God's doing. And so I'm asking you in faith to face moments where the darkness is just dark, trusting that it's not God's doing. That God is the light who is, listen now, with you in the dark, which is not his will. And of course, if you will accept that, then you should ask the very next question, 
which is, if God is good and has power and he loves me, why didn't he stop this darkness? Why does he allow this loss? How come this grief is allowed to unfold if it's not God's will? Why would he allow this death? Why would all of this darkness and terror and disaster come if God doesn't want it to? Why all this darkness if it's not his will? And I'll tell you what, this is a phenomenal question. And it's not a question that often gets exposed or opened in moments like this. But let's do it. Let's be honest. Why? Now, if we accept the logic behind the blueprint understanding of God, which says that since he's omnipotent, he always gets his way, and therefore everything that happens is his will, then we have to say the reason for the darkness, which is darkness, is that we might not know it, but still, even that is God's will. We would have to accept that. This is my opinion, and I've labored at this and worked hard at it. I believe the Christmas story tells us to reject that logic. I do. And I believe the Christmas story tells us to reject that logic because it's logic that's based on a God who is omnipotent and not able to be exposed to passions and feelings, which does not come from the Bible. It comes from Hellenistic philosophy. And if we look at the God that we meet in the Bible, especially the one we meet in the Christmas story, what we see is a God who chooses to dispense with omnipotence in favor of being a baby who lives a real human life and is affected by the darkness and the evil and the suffering which he experiences as a real person. So that we're able to reject that logic of divine impassibility and replace it with the logic of a different kind, and here it is, the logic of love. Now please follow me here. Uh, before I say it, I'm not pretending that this solves the problem or answers the question, but it does shift our perspective the perspective of John is that God came in this baby for a reason. Do you know the reason that John gives for why he came in Jesus as a child? It's a single word. It's love. For God so loved the world. In order for God's goal, which is love to be real, in order for that to be a true possibility, you know what else also has to be a true possibility? Hate and rejection. If God's goal is to create a world that can, listen, receive his love, share that love with one another, and then give that love back to him, in order for that love to be real, it also has to have within its roots the possibility for rejection. Otherwise, it's just fake. It's just forced relationship. It's not real. If love is to be a possibility that can be chosen, rejection also has to be a possibility. That can be chosen. And that is not to say that every bad thing happens because this one person rejected God, but it is to say that the best explanation we have for this ugliness and this misery and this evil and suffering and wickedness that is all around us is that this is what happens when God chooses to take the risk that comes with love. The world can become impossibly complex and ugly in its rejection of him in a way that the darkness spreads. And so the reason for this loss that is just loss, this darkness which is just dark darkness, is that it is a possibility that is necessarily built in with the logic of love. And so where does that leave the person 
who is facing darkness, which is just darkness? Two things, and please listen. First, it leaves them free of having to believe that God wanted this, and that is somewhere significant. But here's the second thing, and this is absolutely critical, and this is the promise of Christmas. It does not leave them alone in that darkness. God is with them in it. And he is not with them in it as the cause of that darkness because God is the God of love and the God of light and the God of goodness, not the God of death and darkness. And what God does in that darkness with that person is a promise. He transforms us. Not, listen, not by using that suffering as his instrument to do something that he wouldn't have otherwise done. He didn't do it. Do you hate it? Please listen. I think the Christmas story gives us permission to say God hates it as much as you do. Do you reject it and say, no, this is wrong. I don't want this. Yes, so does God. God sometimes does not get his way. When we love God, he gets his way. When we say no to his love, he does not get what he wants. And so here's what I want you to picture in that darkness, which is only darkness. I want you to picture God as if he is a potter working a lump of clay and you yourself, with this darkness, are that clay. And you have been marred and messed up, not because the potter messed you up, but because the clay has become, for whatever reason, that is ultimately beyond our comprehension and way too complex for us to understand now, the clay has become fouled up. And there you are thinking, why, how? Why would I have to face this? And you have to, listen, trust me now, the potter is thinking the same thing. Why? How? Why should this be? Because God decided to free us to be lovers of him. And that means many will turn away. But so here is what the potter does. I want you to picture this. The potter looks at you, marred as you are, and he's weeping. He himself, his heart is broken over what breaks your heart. He's crying. And as the, as the tears stream down his face over what is happening right here, he lets, he lets the water of his tears fall onto that lump of clay so that it will become soft, so that it can be worked again into a new vessel, so that he, with his capable and loving hands, is able to transform that lump of clay, adding to it his own grief, his own sorrow. And is it too much a thing to say that God is grieved? And weeps? Yes, if you say, well, no, the logic of the Hellenistic philosophers that say God is impassable and omnipotent, therefore, beyond change, he can't feel because that would mean a diminishment of his, his perfection. If we say that's our logic, then we'd have to say, no, we can't say that. But it's not our logic. The logic is God came in this baby to be with us. And Jesus wept when his friend died. And Jesus went off alone when his cousin was killed by Herod, that monster. And so here God weeps with you and he, he uses his tears to transform you. Would you listen to these words? This is such a challenge. I would only dare to give you this challenge because Jesus' brother, his own brother wrote these words. Brothers and sisters, consider it a joy when you encounter trials of any kind. Okay, remember, not because God made those trials. No, that's not who God is because God is with you in them. James wrote this, because you know that the testing of your faith, again, not God's testing, but the testing that comes from a world that is broken, the testing of your faith produces endurance. 
And, and, and when you grow in endurance, you become mature, lacking in nothing. God is with us and with us against the darkness, but with us in a way that is, is governed by his love. And that means he transforms us when we have to face darkness, which is only darkness. Listen to these words. These words come from another faithful follower of God's. This is Paul's words in Romans about the darkness, which is just darkness. Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Does anyone in here know this from experience? Can someone say yes? Yes, some of us know, and others of us cannot know that now. But listen to what Paul goes on to say. Hope does not disappoint us. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. There's that word again, love. You can't get very far in the New Testament without coming across that word, and not only that word, but the picture of its truth. And it is God's desire and design more than anything else to have us as his beloved children. And that means that we will often face darkness, which is not his will which is just dark. But we will never, ever, ever, ever have to face it alone. So he will always be with us in that darkness to transform us. And then listen to this, and this is a theme for another day. But as he changes us in that darkness to use us to change others who have to face darkness. That's another truth, which is so magnificent. Do you hate the darkness in the world? God hates it too. He does. And his desire is to transform you so that you become the one who stands up against it. Will that always work? Sometimes it will. Sometimes your light will shine and it will be magnificent. Do you know what else? Sometimes it won't. Sometimes you'll shine and you'll be bright and it will be true and the world will snuff out the light and it will be gone. History shows that too. History shows many good people who are just gone. Some of your lives have experienced that. So here, here's the third thing. What about when the dark overcomes the light? Now someone will say, no, wait, wait, you read it at the beginning of the Gospel of John it says there that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. And if you can put your, your knowledge of that whole story, some of you know the whole story of the gospel quite well. Imagine for a moment that story from Mary's perspective or John's perspective even. They watched Jesus grow up. They watched his light shine. They saw it increase. They saw him confront and overcome evil and wickedness and, and darkness all over. They saw him heal people, befriend the lonely and rejected and give love. They saw his healing power, his grace and his mercy, his forgiveness, and they saw it over and over again. But they also saw the day on Friday when he was marched up the hill called Golgotha and they watched as Jesus himself was turned over by his best friends and abandoned by everyone, judged crookedly by his own people, and then nailed to a cross. They watched him die. And in that moment, you can read this in the New Testament, the sun itself refused to shine. As if the whole creation was saying, the darkness won. And that's exactly what it looked like to them on Friday. It really looked like the darkness had overpowered the light. And I want, you to, I want to say this clearly. In, in our real human lives now, there will be Fridays 
and Saturdays where that's exactly what it looks like. And there's just no way around it. That's the risk that comes with the steps that God took to love. And honestly, if it weren't for what happens on Sunday, I would be the most skeptical person you'd ever met. And it'd be hard for you to describe me like that if you spent some time around me, right? It's because what happens on Sunday is also a promise. Even though it's far away from Christmas, it's also a promise from the Christmas story. It it is the promise that says when the dark overcomes the light, God turns evil around. And I say all the time when I'm up here and I get carried away with my feelings, oh, this is my favorite part of the Christian message. But this one's really my favorite. (laughs) It is that the the victory of evil on Friday, which was a victory of the darkness, actually turns out in God's capable hands to be the defeat of evil. It is the greatest victory of wickedness that this good man should be killed even though he was pure and perfect, and it turns out to be the greatest defeat of evil and victory ever. Because in the resurrection, which happens after a few days, we see the truth that when evil wins, God eventually turns it around. And here I'm going to tell you the truth about you. You live between Friday and the Sunday which hasn't yet come for us. That's where you are. You are. You are in the place where where evil sometimes wins. But the promise of Christmas is that there will be a day down the road, and this is a promise, where the darkness will be overcome by the light. Where every good thing that you've lost that was good will be returned and perfected and you will have it forever in Christ. And listen, let me be clear. That's a promise in Christ. That's a promise for those who will say, I'm going to choose to trust. I'm going to give my whole self to him. If you do that, he will sustain you when the dark is masquerading as light. He will transform you when the dark is only dark. And then you will forever experience the reality of his turning evil on its head. And that means every good thing you've lost will be given back, perfected, and enjoyed forever. And yes, I'm talking about heaven. I'm talking about God's return and restoring the earth. I'm talking about the promise that comes at the very end of the Bible in Revelation, which says God will dwell with them and it will be light forever and there will be no more night. There will be no more tears. There will be no more grief. There will be no more sorrow or weeping. Here's another promise. Weeping may linger for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That's in Psalm 40. Sometimes the night is a long time, but it will one day end. And that is the promise of Christmas for you. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for the great and glorious promise of the light which has come to shine in the darkness. And I thank you for the truth that the darkness did not overcome it, cannot overcome it, and never will. God, that hope which is before us seems impossibly good, especially when the darkness is only dark for us as it is for many of us, especially when it appears very plainly as if evil has won out. God, I ask very simply that you would sustain those hearts among us who are in the midst of that darkness, sustain us. Bear us up. Transform us with your tears as you remake us in in the wake of this grief, which is grief for us and you too. And then sustain hope in us 
to the day that we can see the truth that hope does not disappoint. We ask for this in the name of Jesus, who is the light, who is with us. In his name we pray.